All right, our uh, theme today is Blinded by the Light, and it's, it's based on uh, really kind of all of the lessons, but especially uh, these verses from our, uh, from our gospel lesson. Do you read those with me? The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has shined. I don't know about you, but for me, winter is my fourth favorite season of the year. Well, if it isn't cold and icy, it's wet and yucky. It's always long and dark. When you get up in the morning, you have to turn on a light to be able to see. But if the light is too bright, hurt your eyes. You still can't see. You're, you're blinded by the light. And that's the case whether it's a, a dark room that's suddenly uh, lit up by a, by a light or maybe on a dark highway when a car comes at you with its bright sun. What's our usual reaction to something like that? Well, first of all, it's surprise. And that's followed pretty quickly with maybe at least a flash of anger. I wonder if that ever happens by the bright light of God's Word. We are those people dwelling in darkness on, on whom a great light has shined, but if the light's too bright, we can become surprised and even angered by it. Times like that, maybe we would prefer that God took it a little bit easier on us, that, that he used a, a night light rather than a bright light. A night light? Well, sure. That way we could more easily become accustomed to it, and uh, it wouldn't hurt our eyes as much. It wouldn't hurt our feelings as much. The nightlight serves a couple of purposes, at least. For one thing, it, it offers comfort to a, to a young child who's afraid of the dark. And for another thing, it makes it possible for adults to move around at night without stubbing our toes or, or stumbling over toys or other objects that are in our path. And maybe God's Word could be a, a nightlight for us in both of those respects. It could comfort us. By making us think that the sins we commit aren't really so bad when we compare it with some of the really big ones that are, that are listed there in the Bible. Plus, it uh, could provide a, enough light that uh, we could get along fairly well in life. We could at least see the big sins that are, that are right in front of us, even if the little ones are still hard to distinguish and avoid, but that, you know, that'd be okay because little sins don't really hurt that much anyway. Yeah, a nightlight. Sounds pretty comfortable. Except nightlights never give the true picture. They can make things seem different than they really are because they don't give off enough light to reveal everything. With only a, a nightlight at our disposal, when, when we looked at our lives, we wouldn't see everything. We, we, we wouldn't see the, the, always the good or, or certainly always the bad. And 
And maybe that'd be okay with us, but not with God. He requires truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So uh, using uh, God's Word as a nightlight uh, might uh, make us feel more comfortable, but it sure doesn't tell the whole truth. But you want to know what I'm getting at here. How do we use the Bible as a nightlight? I've already mentioned a couple ways. Let me mention a couple more. I wonder if, if sometimes people ever read the Bible just for what they want to find there. I've done that. Maybe you have too. Maybe, uh, maybe you've even used the good news of God's forgiveness as, as an excuse to, to continue sinning. Isn't it the case that, that we hear and we love Jesus' promise of forgiveness? But sometimes we don't always listen to his call to discipleship to do our best to live a life free of sin. Or, if I want to, I can read the Bible to see how good I am. All I have to do is find some commandments that I keep. So I must be a good person because I go to church at least as often as as most people. And I certainly don't murder or commit adultery or steal. And if my nightlight conveniently is unable to illuminate my failures to keep some other commandments, well, so much the better. But not really. Because God won't use a nightlight when he judges people, and so we shouldn't try to use a nightlight when we examine our own lives. God will use a spotlight, which leaves nothing unexposed. That's why we must shine the, the spotlight of God's law into our lives now. Even though we might not like that, there's no doubt that it's going to hurt a little. We might even be blinded by its brilliance and we'll never really get used to it. But try as we might, we can't hide from the spotlight. Until the very day that we die, it will be uncovering sins that, that, that probably we didn't want anybody else to know about and, and maybe we've even tried to hide from ourselves. For a while, we probably can successfully shield our eyes from the, from the glaring reality of, of our unworthiness in the presence of God. But eventually, we must see ourselves for what we are, poor, miserable sinners. That's the spotlight that Paul shined on the, on the church in Corinth, showing them the sinful nature of their foolish arguing. You notice how it, it's, it, that's really seemed to surprise him, that, that Christians would argue. He said, it's been reported to me that there is quarreling among you. Well, I wonder, what would such a spotlight reveal people about people in Frankenmuth, or, or wherever you're from. Do those words ever describe our congregational life? Or maybe our, our home life, our family life? Ouch! Turn off that spotlight! 
But actually, we need that light, don't we? Especially because that's the light that God shined on Jesus while he was on the cross. Even though thick darkness covered the earth for three hours, God's light pierced that darkness and focused on Jesus, focused on our Savior. And it did more than blind him, too. First, it exposed the sin of the whole world that he had taken upon himself. And then it killed him, punishing him for that sin. You know, that light did something else as well. It didn't just kill Jesus. It also killed the guilt of our sin along with Jesus. And and really, that was God's target all along. You know, when someone has cancer, the goal of the chemotherapy or the radiation treatments is to kill the cancer without killing the patient. The trick is to get just the right amount of of chemicals or or radiation. Too small a dose and the cancer lives and can come back even stronger than before. Too strong a dose and, and the patient dies. Well, if we use that analogy with what happened to Jesus, he was intentionally given an overdose. God wanted to make sure that the guilt of our sin could not survive and and come back stronger. To completely eradicate that guilt required the death of the one to whom the guilt clung. That means that now when when God searches our lives with the spotlight of of His law, He sees no sin clinging to us, no, no guilt condemning us. In other words, we don't live in the harsh spotlight of of God's law, but in the gentle limelight of God's love. I don't know if you know much about the origin of that term limelight. I did a little bit of of research on that. It it dates back to uh, before there were electric lights, talking about actors on a stage. So before there was electric lights, they, they used something called limelights to illuminate the stages, and they were called that because they made use of a mineral called quicklime. So to be in the limelight meant that you were on stage. It meant that you were the center of attention. You know, that's also what it means for us to be a Christian. First, that we are living in God's Limelight. Remarkable thought when you think about it. God doesn't, doesn't want to be in the limelight himself. Instead, he wants us to live in his limelight. To be at the, the very center of his attention as, as he helps us and leads us and saves us. And notice that's present tense. It's, this is an ancient history. It's not as if God just sent Jesus 2,000 years ago and called that good. No, he's still at it. Now he sends the Holy Spirit to to give us faith and and to keep us in the faith. And and he keeps checking up on us, doing everything he can to make sure that that we don't wander out of the light and and into the darkness. Because he wants us to be in the light. We have a great example of that in the gospel reading today. 
Maybe you noticed there that Matthew quoted from Isaiah about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles. Did you wonder what that was all about? Well, maybe a quick geography lesson will help with that and also illustrate our point about about living in the limelight. When the people of Israel took possession of the promised land thousands of years ago, each of the 12 original tribes was given a a region in the promised land in, in which to live. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of those tribes. And the area that they were given to live was in the very northern part, maybe you see the arrow pointing to that, that later came to be known as Galilee. But the time of Isaiah, and even hundreds of years later at the time of Jesus, Galilee didn't have a good reputation. It was considered by the rest of Israel to be a backwater at best. There were some Jews still living in Galilee, but they were vastly outnumbered and and pretty much surrounded by Gentiles. That's because whenever a foreign power was either going to invade Israel or wanted to march through Israel, they almost always had to come from the north. They couldn't come from the west because the Mediterranean Sea was there, and they couldn't come from the east because the Arabian Desert was was too wide and too dry for any army to successfully cross. So they had to come from the north. Maybe they looped around the desert and came this way, or maybe they, they came from Greece and that area and came, but always from the north through the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so that was the first to fall. And as a result, a lot of uh, mixing of, of, uh, of cultures and of tribes, and, and uh, Galilee became made up, not completely, but a large percentage of Gentiles and, and half-breeds who practiced an adulterated form of Judaism. So Galilee and and people who came from Galilee were either ignored or looked down on by the real Jews who lived in Jerusalem or or other parts of Judea. So just to be clear, whenever you hear the phrase Galilee of the Gentiles, do not think that's a compliment. But then all of that changed for a very simple reason. Jesus. Jesus. He was raised in Galilee. He started his ministry there. He called his first disciples there. Matthew tells us that that he traveled throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing the people of every disease and, and every affliction that they had. Talk about a dramatic turnaround. Until God focused on Galilee, the only attention that region ever got was negative. But once God welcomed Galilee into the limelight, things were so different. And he's done the same thing for us. Like Galilee of the Gentiles, he's taken us who were nobodies and has made us somebody. In this case, his children. Children who are doted on and cared for by the loving Father that He is. So we're not blinded by the limelight, just the opposite. We bask in its warmth and and our lives are illumined by its glow. Part of that illumination 
is that now we understand God's purpose for our life. Now, I'm going to be careful here. Sometimes, sometimes we ask, well, what's God's purpose for me? Meaning, uh, what occupation does he have in mind for me? I'm not sure that he does, you know, but uh, maybe he wants me to be a baker or a, or a firefighter or a stay-at-home dad or a, or a business executive or some other occupation. I'm not talking about occupation. I'm talking about the vocation to which Jesus first called Peter and Andrew and and James and John, and and to which he has now called each one of us the vocation of being his disciples, following him. As his disciples, we are are well aware of and, and so very grateful for the fact that he has made us the center of his attention. But we also know that there's much more to discipleship than simply knowing God's love in our lives. It also involves showing God's love with our lifestyle. That's because we have not only God's attention, but also the attention of other people. And as I was writing this sermon, I was, I was reminded of a TV commercial I don't know, maybe, maybe you've seen it recently. You'd think that we would see it with the uh, football playoffs in high gear, but I haven't seen it yet this year, but I've, I've seen it before. Um, and I bet you have too. See if it looks familiar. Hey, Doug, how'd that discount double-check work out for you? Oh, that was great. great. I, just, I wish I had double-checked before discussing that play earlier. Did anybody catch that play? No. 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 Okay, we're going to act like we're debating about it. You two do the bouncy football thing. You rub your head like it's a real tough call. No, that looks like you're having a migraine. I'm going to break the huddle confidently, and we're going to call it incomplete. Your mic's on! First down! Thank you! 70,000 people were there. 20 million more watching at home. Got it! Save big with State Farm. My mic is on. Okay. That was unintentional. Uh, I'm not necessarily endorsing State Farm as a fine insurance company, but there's a lot of those. I am endorsing that we learn a lesson from that. That wasn't the intent of the commercial, but I think we can, we can take a lesson from it, and that is that our mic is on. Always. And there is no off switch. People are watching us and listening to us always. It could be our kids or our grandkids or, or our students or our teachers or our spouse or our, our co-workers or our classmates. The point is, we have their attention. question is, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to squander it? Maybe even do something counterproductive, which, which could actually lead them away from Jesus? Or are we going to do everything that we can with, with what we do and what we say to lead them to Jesus? So that they also can hear and heed His call to discipleship. To follow Him on this earth and, and all the way to heaven. Our mic is on. Remember that. Rejoice in that, because that means we have the opportunity to invite others into the limelight, into God's limelight. And there's no better place to be. Amen. 
May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.